Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, before we talk about this week's subject, I uh, just want to say, please do subscribe to us, won't you? We're now on 112,000 subscribers and 12 million views, but we want it to keep going up. So please do remember to subscribe. Just click on the subscribe button, it's totally free. Next door, there is a little bell sign, and that, if you click on that, will give you notifications of our shows as they come up. Now, this week, uh, it's a very simple question I'm going to start with. Should misogyny be a hate crime? Now, just simply for our own information, because these things get very, very complicated often, um, let's be quite clear about what we're talking about according to the Oxford Dictionary, what misogyny is. It is a hatred or dislike of or prejudice against women. That's what we are actually talking about, because it's been in the news over the past couple of weeks. To discuss this, I'm very, very pleased to say we've got uh, Toby Young, columnist and author and General Secretary of the Free Speech Union, one of the best things actually to start over the past year in this era. Claire Fox, or Baroness Fox of Buckley, to you and me, uh, was obviously a former Brexit Party MEP, and Emma Webb from Civitas. Um, can I start by asking you, um, Claire, you were actually in the House of Lords, were you not, uh, when this was debated last week. Um, did you speak? I did. And what speak. did you say? <laughs> I said that um, misogyny is a very strong term to be describing the range of activities that people were talking about because it could be anything from catcalling, um, you know, a leering, unwanted approaches. So I think it's a, 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 a very dramatic, hyperbolic phrase. It also was suggesting that crimes, and we were actually discussing it in relation to domestic abuse, are driven by, um, you know, hatred of women. And we have no idea. So the only way that you can know whether somebody is driven to hit somebody or catcall or anything that is hatred is if you treat it as a thought crime. So I object as a woman to a whole range of interactions between men and women being seen as being driven by hate before we go anywhere else. The idea that it should be a crime is ridiculous. And just the final thing is, is that in every single instance, and particularly in the instance we were talking about in the House of Lords, it was deemed to be the perception of the victim or a third party. So it would never be a proven crime because it could only be based on, I think that you, in my opinion, everything you've said to me is driven by misogyny. So everything about it is uh, problematic. Uh, to coin a phrase, yes. <laughs> uh, Toby, it's not quite a hate crime yet, is it? Can you explain the situation to us? It's sort of halfway there, isn't it? Yes, well, first of all, um, the government has accepted an amendment to the domestic abuse bill, uh, but it's still a bill. It's not yet an act of parliament. Um, and the amendment um, doesn't make misogyny a hate crime. What it does is it instructs the police forces of England and Wales to record those crimes that uh, they think are motivated by hatred of the victim's sex or gender. Um, so um, uh, 
that's not quite the same thing as just requiring them to record those crimes they think are motivated by misogyny. Yeah. Because it would include crimes that the police believe are motivated by misandry as well. Um, but um, we know in reality that it will mean, in the vast majority of cases, um, crimes being recorded that the police believe are motivated by misogyny. And as Claire has just said, they'll base that belief in large part on the perception of the victim, which is a pretty nebulous basis on which to compile data. And the reason I think this is alarming is because it is clearly the first step in making misogyny yeah. a hate crime. First, yeah. those campaigning for it want the data. They want evidence to show that it's a real problem. And then they will lobby the government to do something about it, i.e. make misogyny a hate crime. Yes, it's it's it, there is this subjectivity bit, isn't there? But before we get on to that, uh, from what you're saying, Toby, really, we're talking about we, we're in the territory of non-crime hate incidents, aren't we? Well, we may very well be, uh, Peter. Um, uh, there's no doubt that in addition to um, recording crimes, they believe were motivated by hatred of the victim, sex or gender. The police will also be recording incidents yeah. that they believe were motivated by the victim's sex or gender, i.e. non-crime hate incidents. We know from um, an FOI request submitted by The Telegraph that between 2014 and 2019, the police forces of England and Wales recorded 120,000 uh, hate non-crime in, uh, hate incidents, uh, which is an average of about 66 a day. Um, and to burden the police with having to record even more of these uh, when there are so many better things they could be doing uh, seems to me to be a waste of the police's time and resources at this moment. Emma, do you think that this seems to have suddenly flared up in the aftermath of the, the terrible killing of Sarah Everard, does it not? I mean, do you think that are we reacting you know, in an impulsive way, in which case it's a terrible way in which to make laws, isn't it? Surely? Yeah, I think it's an irrational response to what's happened, because if you really cared about women's safety, then you would be wanting to ensure that the money that the police invest goes on things that will actually keep women safe, not right. on silly things like recording misogyny as a hate crime. And as we've seen, you know, I think it was it's 11 out of 43 of the police forces around the country were already recording misogyny as a hate crime, particularly in Nottingham, which is the pilot that they, they now the government want to roll out across all police forces uh, from the autumn, which is what has been has been suggested. So I think, you know, this this firstly, this isn't the way that you should deal with trying to keep women safe. I don't think this is going to have any impact on women's safety. All this is going to do is contribute to the worldview that created the moral panic in the first place, which is to make women see misogyny everywhere. Um, and it will be the framework through which uh, not only the police, but also the general public will be you know, see seeing misogyny everywhere. And it will make women feel as if they are unsafe when that isn't actually based on you know, facts or reality in any way, because the Sarah Everard murder, it was statistically very unlikely to happen to a woman. Um, and what happened after after that was that it, it essentially got kidnapped, um, sorry, 
bad turn of phrase, it, it, it got hijacked yeah. by people who wanted to use it to push a particular agenda, to, to view um, society as being systemically misogynistic. Uh, and I don't think, as Claire alluded to already, I don't think that that actually is is good for women at all and it's not good for the relations between men and women it sort of victimizes women does it not in a way i mean in some ways does it not also sort of infantilize them even in a way well uh, uh, the, the 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 more general point is that there is a narrative that says that there is a inbuilt majority of people who are driven by a hatred of women in their relations and the broad um, definition, and this is why it's slightly complicated in terms of lawmaking, in terms of crime, um, it's been attached onto the domestic abuse bill. Let me tell you, within that bill itself, which is now about to be law actually tomorrow, I think, um, or if tomorrow is Thursday, yes, um, sorry, in a couple of days, it will become law, I'm pretty sure, because the government have accepted it. But the definitions of a domestic in the domestic abuse bill are pretty wide mm. the definitions of abuse are huge and you can be a criminal as a domestic abuser by simply break breaching a domestic abuse order i'm not going to go into the details of that but that does not necessarily mean that you've even gone anywhere near doing anything than having a very nasty fallout in a domestic setting so now we're being told that, that we've got to assess that from the point of view of misogyny. And so you basically see every single relationship that you might have with somebody from, uh, if you're a woman, uh, every relationship you have with somebody who's a man through the prism of they are a threat to me, you report everything as in the most misanthropic, uh, mean-spirited sense of fear. And then what's worse than that is you can criminalise people based on your perception. And, and although Toby's absolutely right, that this is about counting. Um, I, thought, I think that, that, that where Toby absolutely hits the nail on the head is, this is getting the evidence so that you can bring in another bill to make it a hate crime. Mm. But the point about this evidence is that there are not, you know, demonstrations on the street of thousands of women demanding this particular response to Sarah Everard, even if they might say they might want something. Um, but the police forces are being told that they are negligent in this. So they are being incited, and I use that word particularly, to go and find instances of misogynistic. I mean, can you imagine being a police force in, you know, wherever in the country, in Glasgow, and you say, actually, we haven't had much in the way of misogynistic hate crime reported. People would not think, oh, the men of Glasgow might not hate women. They'd think there's something wrong with the Glasgow police force. They aren't going out and encouraging this. So in the debate that happened in the House of Lords, it was very much the onus on the police to go out and to say to people, this is misogyny. Have you experienced it? Report it to us. And 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 not just the victims, because this third party matters, because then you can say that you are walking down the street. Somebody cat calls you. You take no notice. But you as a witness can say, I have seen misogynistic hate crime and report that. And it will be so that even the victim can say, oh, I didn't think it was anything much. Don't worry about it. But that doesn't matter. It can be therefore written down. 
Toby, you, th this point exactly, Claremate, this is uh, pretty, well, sorry, it is unique, I believe, in English law, the, the subjectivity that relates to hate crime, uh, an ever-expanding area. This, in the perception of the victim, they even use the word victim, which automatically suggests, doesn't it, uh, guilt. Um, it's not the complainant, it's, it's the victim. Um, this is ex extraordinary, and, and surely this is something that must affect, for example, the cases you get at the Free Speech Union. I mean, does it not? I mean, because if it's up to, you know, I, I could hear of a story that's like Emma tells me or Claire tells me or something like this, and I can go and report it, even though I didn't even see it, <laughs> if I think it's hateful. Yes, um, uh, it is a relatively new development. Yeah. Um, uh, perception-based crimes. Mm. Uh, and the Free Speech Union has just published um, a 10-point manifesto today in the run-up to the local elections, um, arguing that perception-based crime should be scrapped as a concept. Right. Um, uh, I think the, the, the reason it's um, grown up um, over the past few years is um, because of the difficulty in trying to discern whether someone in the course of committing a crime um, has certain forbidden thoughts. Um, so the fundamental problem with the concept of hate crime, as set out by Jonathan Rausch in Kindly Inquisitors, is that if you're going to punish more severely those crimes um, that uh, were motivated by the perpetrator's hatred of the victim, but not in every case, just if the victims happen to belong to a particular protected group, is that you are essentially criminalising certain thoughts. Um, you're saying that if you are thinking certain thoughts when committing a crime, um, it's not just hateful thoughts, but particular hateful thoughts. If you're thinking those thoughts, then the crime should be punished more severely. So it's effectively creating a category of crime, which is thought crime. Mm. Um, and the, one of the many problems with trying to criminalise certain thoughts is that it's very difficult to determine whether someone is having those thoughts or not when they're committing the crime. Um, you're not going to be able to rely on the perpetrator because knowing that they're going to be punished more severely if they were thinking those prohibited thoughts, they're going to deny they were thinking them. And there is no machine that can be wheeled into court to determine whether or not these prohibited things were being thought by the perpetrator whilst committing the crime. So what can they do? It's such a difficult, subjective, nebulous concept to base the criminal law on. The only thing they can do is to ask, well, what was the perception of the victim? Uh, and, and treat that as sacrosanct. Uh, because, of course, we've always got to believe victims, which, which, which is not only very unreliable as a standard on which to base sentencing, um, but also seems to throw out of the window the presumption of innocence. Why should victims be believed? Um, what that is effectively saying is that the testimony of the victim as to the state of mind of the perpetrator has to be given more weight than the perpetrator's account, which is essentially to throw out of the window the presumption of innocence. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 I think the, 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 the long-term solution, the only solution to all these problems thrown up by trying to uh, create thought, uh, uh, hate crimes and prosecute them is, I think, to ditch the concept, to stop trying to criminalise thought, 
People often say in response to that argument, well, that's all very well, but mens rea is important when determining guilt. And that too can affect the tariff someone gets for committing a particular crime. But that's different. Intending to commit a crime and the general intention is one thing, but criminalising, adding extra harsh penalties because the perpetrator was thinking particular thoughts, that's something else entirely. And that's wrong, I think. I, I, I just wanted to, you know, because the, 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 one of the problems we've got here is what problem are we trying to solve? The person, whoever that person is, who killed Sarah Everard, Everard in, it, will be prosecuted for the crime of murder and kidnap. Does it matter what motivated them? I hope that they are dealt with harshly. I don't care what the motive was. Um, of course, uh, as, as Toby clarified one thing, I mean, you, you want to know whether it was premeditated or how it happened. There are certain things. But, but in terms of this sort of driver, this idea that it makes any difference to you, as it was attached to the domestic abuse bill, you know, whether you're kind of hit because of a sort of generalised hatred of women or whether it's because of the particular toxic relationship that you've got in with one person who just, and the fights over the kids or whatever. I mean, you've been hit. You should be prosecuted for that. That's fine. I, you know, throw away the key. I'm all for that. But this is a politicisation, a political and ideological reading of crime that I think lacks merit. But as it, I, I, and it doesn't help anyone. You know, I, I, I might want more lighting on the streets. You might want more police in, in terms of, of women's safety. Although women, by and large, are not under threat. I mean, we, we just also would like to clarify, very importantly, that women might be frightened that they're going to be attacked, but they're largely not attacked. And fear, as we know, can be debilitating. And the historical argument for a lot of women who were involved in women's liberation was that we were told that, you know, we, we needed to be looked after because there was all these kind of men out there with testosterone problems who were going to rape us. But it's very but, interesting, Claire, how quickly that argument has come back. We've had yeah. talk of curfews for men. You know, yeah. chaperones, <laughs> well, and also like the mayor uh, Khan said, you know, women are, you know, are not safe on our street. The whole implication, it's been broadened straight away, is it not, Emma? It's societal equivalent of, as Toby was saying, it being perception-based, so you're trying to sort of look into men's souls whilst convicting them of a crime. It's the same thing on a societal level, and it has its roots, I think, in um, the work of people like Kimberly Crenshaw and intersectionality, where they, they as, as Claire was saying, they read certain crimes against women, domestic abuse, rape, murder as being indicative of misogyny in society you can't evidence that you can't prove it right or wrong it's almost like a religious belief and that's the reason why i think to anybody who doesn't have that worldview, you look at what happened to sarah everard you consider the fact that we don't know if the person who's been arrested the police officer actually committed the murder we don't know any of the details about the case. We don't know, we're, we're all talking about misogyny as if for somehow de facto he must have been motivated by misogyny rather than yeah. some a, a multitude of other possible motivations for doing something like that. It makes absolutely no dif difference to the immorality of the crime that was committed against her. Um, and so I think that is the, it's the societal equivalent and it, it's a, 
it's a worldview that naturally tends towards this perception-based crime. And as Toby was saying, you know, that that is, it, it, it just completely undermines the whole idea of justice. You can't have a just justice system if that is at the basis of it. You just can't. The other, the other thing that I'm very worried about, and this, this will be important, I mean, the, the tacking on of this amendment onto the domestic abuse bill was just really just a kind of opportunist move by people who wanted to just get anything passed uh, to the point where, and it's kind of become a bit of a joke, but where I went in my speech, I made the point that we all think this is the misogyny hate bill because we'd all been lobbied as a misogyny hate bill. And I'm opposed to a misogyny hate bill. But actually when I read the amendments, I suddenly realized that it never mentioned the word misogyny and it didn't mention the word women. So uh, basically it was an entirely politicised thing. But, but, but it's important to say that it was tagged on as an amendment to this because in the domestic abuse bill, and this is important, domestic abuse is now a very broadened concept which includes psychological abuse, all sorts of you know, emotional abuse, all sorts of types of abuse which are not physical, quite difficult to prove crimes in and of themselves. The only outcome, it seems to me, of introducing this idea of misogyny misogynistic hate is that it will uh, and tagging it on now onto the domestic abuse bill is that it will criminalize speech because what you can be accused of misogynistic hate for being emotionally abusive in a domestic context and the example that I use particularly because I didn't name it on as women and they've added in this word person and it's confused as to whether that will stay once it becomes an act of parliament was that if, for example, you are a mother who misgenders their trans son or daughter who has transitioned, that will be an act of hate. So you can imagine the scenario, or, 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 and in the domestic abuse scenario as well, if you run a women's refuge and you say, actually, we're not letting you stay here, and there's any question in the mind of the victim that you're doing that because you have a prejudice against someone, then you can be done for the equivalent of misogynistic hate crime. Now, this will obviously freeze debate. That's the point I'm making. And, and it, when you look at what's happened in Nottinghamshire, it, it's, you know, that's the problem with this, what is the crime? Because if it can be approaching, you know, unwanted approaching, that's the one that gets me every time. Unwanted I mean, how approaching. unwanted approaching. Yeah. Now, we all know that that could mean but I mean, you know, unwanted approach. How do you know if it's unwanted unless you approach? I mean, I, what does that mean? And leering. I mean, what is? I mean, you're looking at me in a particular way. I mean, who's leering? At, what? What? What I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that it's that's where it creeps into being hate speech rather than crime because we're talking about because we're talking about Sarah and this is happens in this discussion. A brutal murder occurs. We have a conversation about a brutal murder that suddenly ends up over here. Now, when you're saying misogynistic hate crime, talking about Sarah Everard, at least you can sort of get there, right? It's a brutal yeah. crime against a woman. We kind of know where we're going. But the campaigners are talking a much wider expanse. As soon as you disagree with them, they say, how dare you? A young woman has been brutally kidnapped and murdered on Clapham. So I'm being insensitive because I'm opposing an amendment that they've associated with a young woman, but they broadened it out so that all women need this protection and a lot of people could be criminalised in this way. It's also, it's deeply, deeply ironic as well that the point about 
not only free speech, but the way that some of these uh, campaign groups have hooked their own causes onto this, because the, the, the primary way that you keep if you're if you're really concerned about women's safety, then you will be concerned about women's sex-based rights because that's yes. the only way that you can ensure in law that women do have equality and are protected. But a lot of these groups, particularly ones like Sisters Uncut, um, have I think they've even uh, interrupted uh, uh, women's rights protests in in the past because I think they essentially opposed to sex-based rights and some of the people that they had listed and Zach Goldsmith was very good drawing attention to this some of the people that they had listed uh, during their protest as people that they were sort of remembering memorializing were people who before they had transitioned had actually kidnapped murdered and raped women exactly. so if you were really concerned it's a point at which you have to step back and ask is this really about women's rights or have they made this about something else? It's the same with the, um, the, what's going on at the moment. Right this very moment in, Clap, in Clapham Common, uh, these far left activists have quite literally occupied, a, a pre, it was an, an abandoned police station. And in the statement that they released, they were making, as they always do, certain demands. And one of those demands was that the police end what they call femicide. So they're already recategorizing the murder of women as being not just murder, but in some kind of separate category. They're essentially instrumentalizing the abuse of women and uh, crime against women for their own political purposes. So you have to stand back and ask, are are their intentions really what they're saying that they are? Because I think it's pretty clear that they're not. I think you you could actually look at the same with the George Floyd killing. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? That if you deny that this was about racism or that Britain is systemically racist, you're actually showing yourself to be the problem, you know, the racist, as it were. Um, Toby, uh, can I bring you in? Just going back to something you said in your last uh, uh, answer there. Do I take it that your position then or the position of the Free Speech Union is that hate crimes should be scrapped or, you know, hate crime legislation should be scrapped? Well... The Free Speech Union doesn't have an official position on that. Um, and uh, uh, I would have to defer to um, the trustees and um, the uh, director of research and the deputy director of research, Emma Webb, uh, another oh, hat right. she sometimes Hello. wears. So I just wear her we, hat we like to keep today. it in the family here. So. Uh, but um, uh, that is certainly my position, Peter. Right. I mean, I think the... Uh, I mean, when you think about it, it just doesn't seem to pass the common sense test. Let's suppose um, I am badly beaten up. Um, if the person is motivated by a personal hatred of me, does it make sense that they should be punished less severely than if they're motivated by hatred of my being a white male? Um, uh, it doesn't really. Um, surely if the person is hatred by motivated by a particular animus towards me, if that person has been stalking me and has singled me out, then I think they should be punished more severely than if they're just attacking me because they dislike some of the identity categories I belong to. Um, But the kind of rationale for hate crime, the rationale for punishing more severely those crimes motivated by hatred of particular identity groups is that it will create a more harmonious, less divided society that if we, if we provide uh, greater legal protection to certain groups that have been designated victim groups, 
that will make for a better, more peaceful, more civilized society. But I can't see it working like that. Surely, if you give certain groups better legal protections than other groups, if you say that if you're a member of these identity groups and someone commits a crime against you, that crime will be more severely punished than if you're a member of these other unprotected identity groups, that's going to sow division. That's going to create disharmony. It's not going to create a more civilized society. It's going to create a more sectarian society. So the whole rationale behind the hate crime agenda seems to me to be completely misguided. And I think there is some evidence in, uh, in, in those countries and those US states where hate crimes uh, have been placed on the statute books. Um, uh, the many more um, uh, acts of hatred uh, are committed against various victim groups after those things have been criminalized than before. Now, of course, the data is quite unreliable because sometimes reporting mechanisms aren't put in place until certain crimes have been put on the statute books. But there seems to be some pretty robust empirical data showing that actually hate crimes where they've been uh, where they where they where they've been where they've entered the statute books have in fact created uh, uh, resulted in more crimes being committed against victim groups than less. So they have the opposite of their intended effects, and you can quite see why that would be the case. Mm. I mean, I think I think that you know, the, the, and this is where we kind of get into uh, something of a tangle um, for me because. Partly, if, if you say we, we talk about racism or we talk about, in fact, sexism or, or, or what have you, what women were fighting for was to be treated equally to men. Racism is where you actually say, I'm going to treat you uh, and give you less, equal, you know, we're going to treat you as a lesser person than somebody because of your ethnicity, because of the colour of your skin. And so the problem with these kind of laws that actually then treat you separately and differently is it undermines that aspiration for equality that's one thing but we can all recognize and i and, and i do recognize you know you can you can also know that you could get a bunch of uh, um, of lads who might go out and beat someone up because they're jewish and and they beat them up and they say you know things which are anti-jewish so you can guess that they're probably anti-semitic you can go out and beat up uh, 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 um, uh, somebody because they're Asian and they'll use racist language and they'll actually perpetrate a racist attack. I mean, when I lived in Coventry um, in the in the 80s, there were groups of people who went out to beat people up because of the colour of their skin, right? It was straightforward. They were skinheads. They did that. They didn't make any bans. So you can say, well, that's a crime. But the thing that I, that I would say about it is, I don't think that they should be given a harder sentence because of that, but I might note it. Mm -hmm. I don't think there are no crimes driven by, uh, you know, attitudes to women. And, and, uh, and obviously, rape is a particular type of crime. But one of the th things is, as I'm, I'm just describing extreme examples, I, I don't think the law needs to change because of that, because I want rapists to be prosecuted. I want people who go out and beat people up to be prosecuted and I want to have a campaign in society that you don't believe that people of a different skin colour or a different sex are lesser than you, right? And that's an argument that I would prefer to have rather than bringing the law into it. That's why I'm, but this is why I get very nervous about language because Emma's rightly described how people are talking about femicide. 
they're actually not distinguishing. When, when uh, Jess Phillips read out all those names in the House of Commons, she actually added Sarah Everard to a lot of names of women who've been killed in domestic settings, even though Sarah wasn't. So the specificity, which seems quite insulting to me, I mean, you just lump everyone in together and assume that it's all the same. Why is it the same? It's Everything not the same. from wolf whistling to and then, rape. You, and then you broaden out what you describe as misogyny from not just being mm -hmm. dead, killed, which is pretty the end result, the most vicious that we can think of, to unwanted approaches, leering, catcalling, mm -hmm. even, you know, even uh, uh, things like flashing, which is undoubtedly an antisocial behaviour, but it's still not the same as raping and murdering someone. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel that that's where we get into the language thing because I oh it, that's what worries me is the thought crime element of this that they just broaden everything out and you're not allowed to be opposed to it being treated yeah. differently under the law not equally is a real problem for women but that doesn't mean that there aren't crimes aimed at women and I want them to be prosecuted I just don't think this will help there's a degree as well I think to which there it's almost cooking the books and it was already alluded to slightly but if you have you ask the police to start recording these hate crimes and then you use the evidence of these hate crimes that you've created and therefore see in absolutely everything because as you say it's everything from unwanted advances to to rape and murder that you're you're sort of cooking the books you're creating an environment in which women will feel as if they are being victimized almost inherently and that there's nothing that can be done about that other than presumably the elimination of men if they think that systemic misogyny is something that is inherently <coughs> within men which is why you end up with people like baroness jenny jones suggesting ridiculous things like a curfew for all men um and i think that most women would see that and think well this doesn't actually chime with my experience but what they're asking of women is for women to see themselves as the victim so it's the absolute opposite of empowerment you going to come in there toby yeah i was just just wanted to add to what's just been said which is that um uh the people advocating um uh, uh the the expansion of hate crime legislation um often make the rhetorical moves which um claire just described i mean the 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 the, the first rhetorical move is to say you know, how dare you oppose what we're proposing when this woman has just been kidnapped and killed? What kind of a, an insensitive brute are you to challenge anything we're saying? Uh, if you do challenge it, if you try and enter into a debate about this, then you are um, uh, disregarding, you are callously disregarding what's just happened to this innocent young woman. Um, so, so you're... That's one way of shutting down debate. The other way, which we're probably all familiar with, is to say, you don't have any standing in this debate. You're a man. You don't know what it's like to be a woman walking home on your own at night through the streets of London. How dare you try and speak to this issue when you have no idea, you don't have the lived experience, which is the license you need to contribute to this conversation. The, the, the upshot of ruling people out by making these rhetorical moves is that no debate takes place at all. And we saw that in the House of Lords last week. The government didn't accept this amendment after it had been voted for uh, in the House of Lords. After a sort of minimal amount of debate, the government then just accepted 
the, the, the amendment. And my concern is that the Law Commission of England and Wales have made a series of really hair-raising proposals um, uh, which they want to bring together in an English and Welsh hate crime bill, which, 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 is, which will be very similar to the Hate Crime Act, which has just passed in Scotland. So they want to, for instance, uh, hugely enlarge the number of protected categories. Uh, at one point in the document, the consultation document, which is hundreds of pages long, they talk about making goths and punks protected categories. Uh, they, want to, um, they want to make it much, much easier to prosecute people for uh, stirring up hatred against people in these protected categories. Um, at the moment, uh, with the exception of stirring up racial hatred, in order to prosecute someone for stirring up hatred, you need to show intent that they intended to stir up hatred. They didn't just do it inadvertently. Well, the Law Commission want to scrap that and they want to make it as easy to prosecute someone for stirring up hatred against any protected category, not just stirring up racial hatred. But they also want to scrap the dwelling exemption, whereby at the moment you can't be prosecuted for stirring up hatred against uh, someone in a protected category in the privacy of your own home. Uh, that, 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 that was one of the features, of the, that's one of the features of the Scottish Hate Crime Act. It's done away with the dwelling exemption in the Public Order Act 1986. Well, the Law Commission are proposing to do the same thing here. And on the face of it, you look at these proposals and you think, well, thank God we have a Conservative government with a 60-seat majority, an 80-seat majority. You know, uh, unlike Scotland, we won't, we won't enact these unbelievably draconian laws which will uh, more or less wipe out free speech in, in, in England and Wales. But then when you see the government respond in this kind of knee-jerk way, uh, because this amendment was put in the midst of a moral panic, um, you think, well, crikey, perhaps I'm, I'm placing far too much confidence uh, in this government. And actually, they'll, th th we'll see something very like the Scottish Hate Crime Act appear as a bill um, in, in the third session of this parliament. I mean, I very much hope not, and the Free Speech Union will certainly be campaigning against it. But I do think, after what happened last week, it is now a real risk. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I just was in the House of Lords this morning and there was in question time uh, a question about um, what would the government do about anonymous accounts on social media that were stirring up hatred, uh, race hatred, in relation to footballers. It was a very specific question. But in the course of the other questions that were put forward to the Minister, um, people was that this moved from a very specific question to racism and sexism. Then it became racism and sexism and bullying, pylons, online harassment, calling people names, that it would be prosecutable if you were anonymous. And the reason I mention all this is because the government minister simply said, don't worry, we're dealing with all this in the online harms bill. And don't worry, and I've noticed this all the time in the House of Lords. I've never taken any interest or notice in legislation, but now I have to, so I've suddenly realised how they laws are made, is that the Conservatives have accepted practically every egregious um, uh, amendment that came from other parties into the Domestic Abuse Bill. And every time they're asked anything awkward about this kind of hate crime legislation, they say, don't worry, the Law Commissioner looking at it. So they've outsourced their expertise. So th th there's no kickback at all. I'd put down to speak on this uh, uh, question this morning. I wasn't selected. 
therefore, 10 members of the House of Lords, not one of them mentioned free speech. They said free speech has to have limits and, that, and the government minister agreed with them. Now, this is every single time a free speech issue comes up in the House of Lords. And Toby, you're absolutely right. I mean, I spoke against the misogyny hate crime part of the domestic abuse bill, but I was absolutely on my own. And there was no reason for me to do it because the government accepted it anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm having an argument and I'm, I'm, as it were, against a Labour amendment, but it didn't matter because the Tories had had taken it on. So I think that you can't underestimate the changing climate at a legislative level where basically they haven't even bothered to have the debate. You see, I I, I think that is the most scary bit. And I I just wanted to stress that in all of this, what we're missing is that the public think that the government are doing things that will protect, you know, they hear the, the, the buzzword, they think it's to do with stopping rapists or stopping racist attacks or stopping brutal murders of young women. But actually, when you look at what's being made into law, it's not that at all. The domestic abuse bill, you'd think it was to do with the police ignoring the fact that when people come and say, I'm about to be killed by my ex, they ignore you. It's going to solve that. Let me tell you, they'll be so busy dealing with data crunching on hate crime and all the rest of it, they won't have time to actually deal with the real problems. So it's a real smoke and mirror situation of the public thinking they're supporting one thing and the politicians absolutely spinelessly have given up on any commitment to freedom at all. You you mentioned there, Claire, about the sort of legislative um, atmosphere and what, and what is going on there, but the this whole sort of what happens in the legislature surely has a kind of chilling effect generally on society. And I, this is the thing that worries me. I was, I was very interested to see this, I don't know if you saw it, but this week, uh, probably America's greatest novelist, or was considered so, Philip Roth, oh. is now under the hammer, shall we say, uh, because of his misogyny. That's what it amounts to. Now, no one is at the moment saying he shouldn't be, you know, his books shouldn't be published. Um, but the fact is, he is ripe for, as they put it, a reevaluation. Now, you know, this is not to do obviously with hate crime, but it's all of a of a piece, is it not, Toby? It is, yes. Um, This is um, the charming phenomenon of posthumous cancellation. Mm. It's as though, you know, the appetite uh, uh, among the uh, witch-finded generals for finding and punishing people um, for heresy is so insatiable that they're not going to confine themselves to the living. Um, They now have to... um, uh, uh, morally inspect the dead and if they possibly can they'll they'll punish them too it's almost like digging someone up and sort of uh, uh hang, hanging drawing and quartering the corpse um uh because they 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 they, they didn't suffer sufficient punishment uh, for their heresy while they were living and as you say philip roth is the latest victim of this really unpleasant phenomenon um i mean it's you sort of think when something like this happens, I always think anyway, um, you know, the people you're trying to cancel, the people you're singling out as heretics and punishing as best you can are, are amongst the most brilliant of human beings. You know, they are the most gifted novelists, uh, the most talented scientists. Um, uh, uh, 
you know, it's almost it's almost a sort of tribute to their enemies that the people they single out as the most egregious sinners are as luminously intelligent and imaginative and as as hugely capaciously talented as Philip Roth. You know, I mean, who who can they put up against Philip Roth? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, where, who are the woke novelists they want to replace him with? But I, mean, I think you know, it's you'd think that. <laughs> Sorry. No, but no, no. I was just, I, I was just going to say that it's, it's true that what you say, though, Peter, because what goes on in the legislation, you kind of think. I mean, it's frightening to see what laws are coming through, but it's then the way that what I'm saying is, you know, probably two or three months ago, the word misogyny was not widely used. You know, it's, it's quite extreme. Sexism, maybe. Yes, misogyny. Is a misogyny suddenly in? Is a misogynist the same as a sexist in your language? No, I mean, what, no what misogyny is, is used purposefully as the kind of hatred. Yeah, yeah. But a sexism is is not is is a stronger word. It's the way that kind of racism became kind of white supremacy. Yes, Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. I, I mean it kind of like extremifies it. It catastrophizes it. And the reason I'm saying that is because what's now happened is is it is a bit like uh, George Floyd moment, as you said, which is that you know the death of one man brutally watched by us all in lockdown became a way of talking about racism in every single instance and everywhere. But now we have a situation whereby attitudes to women have all become misogyny. And now you can say in popular culture, this novelist is a misogynist and should be cancelled. <laughs> and you then argue against that. And I, 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 Philip Roth is one of my favourite novelists of all times. Um, his attitude to women, uh, who who I, I don't care because his literature and his novels mm. are the most some of the most important artifacts we're ever going to have, and everybody should read Philip Roth. By the way, I don't care what he thought now about anything, but of course <laughs> now more than ever. Yeah, yeah, yes. now, now more than ever. <laughs> yes. um, and actually, a lot of his work will help understand now more than yeah. ever. But, but the point I'm saying is, is that that word has seeped out of that kind of little group of NGO campaigners who lobby to, and MPs who've been going on and on about misogyny, hate crime. And in popular culture, most people go, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. But because of the Sarah Everard th uh, situation, I think then the way it became a moral panic, the way it was given massive, uh, um, um, amplified by the media, and the fact that we're in lockdown, so this intensifies this kind of sense of kind of horror and fear and atomization. Now, everybody knows about misogyny and you only have to label somebody a misogynist to think of Sarah Everhard. And that's what happens, you know, you only have to say institutionalized racism or, or, and, and, and white privilege and you think of the brutal killing by the police or, or, of, of somebody in America. And that's the way it works in your head. And that's the chilling effect. But that's what they sort of want. I mean, it's almost like, oh, well, what Philip Roth was writing about or how he behaved towards the women in his life, uh, there's a causal link somehow mm -hmm. between yeah. that yeah. And, and the worst except it no, gives It gives them a window of opportunity yeah. as well on the far left for them to, 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 as you say, because people will say, oh, well, misogyny and they'll associate with Sarah Everard and the far left know that this is the case. And so then it becomes part of this general destructiveness, like you saw that they all, all of the protesters um, 
who who descended on the uh, Churchill statue again, and they were talking about racism, and they they associate with everything with to do with the police, to, uh, Extinction Rebellion turn up, Black Lives Matter turn up, the Revolutionary Communist Group turn up, the anti-imperialists turn up, and they use it as this like window of opportunity for the general destructiveness, because as you say, they they you know they 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 see misogyny and racism and all of these things as you know intersectionality joins them all together and it becomes part of this worldview this moral panic and this myth that they're perpetuating and so it is as toby said it's it's a it, they, these people are viewed as having committed heresies they even went for philip larkin and they go for the people who either are the most innocent because then that creates the most terror amongst normal people because they think well if they could go for someone who really did nothing wrong then they could come for me and they go for as toby said the most luminous giant figures um, to try and tear them down because it's it's almost uh, it goes along with their bullying approach to um, trying to to force change in the direction that they would want it. They they create this fear by trying to topple these gargantuan figures as, as if to you know show that the power that they have over over the cultural change or the cultural revolution that they uh, want. Also, I don't think we should ever underestimate sheer good old-fashioned cultural envy. Mm. You know, as I think Toby mentioned. You know, absolute bringing down these uh, media. This is the revenge of the media. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, can I, I want to clarify for the um, the far left has a fine tradition. <laughs> 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 the contemporary identity left is a whole different ball game, and I'm from the tradition of the far left that argued against these regressive trends. And we've established that, sadly, we have a Conservative Party government with an 80-seat majority that goes along and laps up this stuff. Well, so I think the I think intersectional identitarian I, 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 Exactly. <laughs> I, I just think that one of the problems that we have to identify is, sadly, this is across the parties, across left and right, and uh, we have a yeah, real problem in I, that. I think that, that that's absolutely true. I think one of the... Um, curiosities of this kind of cultural upheaval is that you have the intersectional regressive left in one corner uh, at the moment sweeping all before them and as Emma said they're incredibly good at exploiting um, crises to whip up moral panics and then railroad people in power and authority to do their bidding. Um, we saw that last year with George Floyd. We've just seen it with Sarah Everard. Um, uh, but, but one of the curiosities is that um, uh, people of widely different political views, conservatives like me and far left radicals um, like Claire, now find themselves on the same side, manning the barricades together, trying to defend uh, those values that we have in common against these um, barbarians at our gates. Actually, we're at the gates. They're in the Citadel. Exactly. <laughs> but, I'm uh, afraid you know what uh, I mean. the barbarians are in the institutions. It's so. the reasonable versus the unreasonable. Yeah. Thank you very, very much for coming to, and talking about this. It's, it's great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Toby. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Uh, Thank you. That's it for Counterculture. Uh, do subscribe, won't you? And we shall see you next time. Thank you.